And once again, we welcome you all to our services. I uh, was telling some of them this morning that uh, I had forgotten that it was Scout Sunday. And if I had remembered, I might have picked a different lesson. Um, but this is the lesson that I've chosen, and this is the lesson that I'm going to go with. Uh, we've been studying um, this month, we've begun studying the church at the crossroads. And we have made a point of making sure of our direction and making sure that what we are doing is what God is pleased with. Today's lesson is a difficult lesson. And one of the things that I did in beginning this series is I, I mentioned Acts chapter 20. We read a few, few of the verses from that chapter. And one of those encourages preachers. Uh, it's a good example for us preachers that we need to preach the whole counsel of God. Sometimes that means preaching lessons that make us uncomfortable. Some that, that maybe we don't like as much as others. But we need to preach the whole counsel of God. We also need to preach the truth in love. And I hope that that is the way that this lesson is received. There are many difficult questions that arise when we look at different churches. We understand that different churches teach different things. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to be aware of what we believe. We need to be aware of what the Bible teaches us. And when it comes to churches that teach different things, uh, how closely can we be related to them? How can we be associated with them without being associated with their teachings? How does God view these things, and how do they pertain to us as Christians? Many who claim membership in the church follow after teachings of error. And when it comes to our fellowship, can we fellowship with those who teach things differently than we do? Is there a way that we can, can believe the same thing, that we can speak the same thing when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to what we are taught in the Bible? And how are congregations to handle such difficult situations? Biblically speaking, when it comes to those who teach differently than we do, how do we handle such things? Our lesson objectives for this morning are to recognize the difference between truth and error and to better understand how God wants His church to be unified. Ultimately, we understand that God wants in His church unity. And we'll look at, at how the Bible speaks about unity and its importance and how that pertains to us. We want to better understand what God wants us to be, ultimately, as Christians. We want to understand what God wants of us, His people. We'll begin with one church. Jesus promised to establish one church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. We'll read through verse 19. Matthew 16 and beginning with verse 13 says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. First of all, one of the things that we notice in this passage, and we, we often use this for the, the confession that Peter gave, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was an important confession for him to make. It's an important confession for us to make as well. When we become Christians, we do the same. We offer that confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. What we notice here from this passage is that the church that Jesus would establish would be founded on the belief that Jesus is the Son of God. That's one of the great foundations of the church. It is founded on that faith. If we do not have faith in Christ as the Son of God, then we have nothing. Notice here also that Jesus promised to build His church. It wasn't just any church that would be built. It would be the church that Jesus established. It would be his. It would be in His belonging. It was one church that was going to be created under Him. The apostles were also given authority to teach in the name of Christ. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. They would teach according to God's will for His people. Whenever we look at the teachings of the apostles, we understand that what they have taught us, what they have said is what we will be judged by if we follow it or not. We are judged by how we follow their teachings. As we look at the first century church, we have a great example of what the church was. The church was established on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in verse 42, it says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice that they didn't follow the teachings of man. They didn't follow myths and things of that nature that were very popular at that time. But they followed the teachings of the apostles. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And that's a good example for the church today. True Christians will put their faith in what is taught in the New Testament and follow only as they are given authority. When we deviate from the authority of the New Testament, then we also deviate from the apostles' teachings. The things that we are to be judged by. The things that would be bound in heaven or loose depending on whether they had been taught by the apostles or not. We as the church today are to continue in the authority of the scriptures. We follow very closely with the authority of the scriptures. As we read of the establishment of the church in Acts chapter 2, we understand that salvation was offered to those who were ready to receive it. 
In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39, we see exactly what needs to be done in order to have salvation. Now when they heard this, when they had heard Peter's sermon, and whenever they had heard all the things that he proclaimed unto them, it says that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Salvation was offered to the people. They were told that they needed to repent. And that they needed to be baptized. And only then could they receive remission of sins. We also see that the Lord added to His church. It's not the people. It's not members of the church that add to the church. But the Lord who adds to the church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now we do have a duty in baptizing people and teaching them the gospel, teaching them how to remain faithful. But when it comes to adding to the church, the Lord Himself did that. In Acts chapter 2 we read of one church that was established. Only God can add members to His church when they are truly obedient to His will. One is not part of the Lord's church until they are added by Him. Obedience indeed does not equal obedience in heart. Only God can know the heart. I'm sure that there's a reason here that the Lord adds to the church, and that being the heart. We can't judge someone's heart, but God can. God knows the heart of every individual. He knows whether they are truly obedient or not. And so he adds to his own church. Question arises, will God reject those who are not obedient in heart? Only when we are obedient can we receive the reward that is promised to us. Only by faithful obedience and faithful service to him throughout our lives will add us to his church. As we mentioned before, God desires unity among His children. And so when we look at the church, God wants us to be unified. He wants us to be together. In all we teach, in all we say, in all we do, God wants us to be joined closely together. Not just within a single congregation, but the church rolled over. God wants us to be unified. God wants His people to be one and to act as one. We see a little bit about how God feels about division among His people in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What they were doing is basically taking whoever had baptized them and putting them on a pedestal and saying, well, I'm of this follower, I'm of this follower, instead of being under Christ. Only Christ was crucified for our sins. Only Christ sacrificed His life on our behalf. And that's important. We are under Christ and only under Christ. Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul was, was glad in, in some ways that he had not baptized them because they could not claim him in that way. But what we learn in this passage and what we learn from what Paul is, is teaching the Corinthian brethren and to us as well today is that we are to preach and teach the same doctrine. We are to teach and to preach the same word. God does not desire that we be divided by anything. He desires that we be together, that we be close-knit in, in such a way that we agree on what the Scriptures teach. He wants us to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and judgment. Can we be perfectly joined together with those that speak differently? The Corinthians were divided over who baptized them and they were encouraged to be united in Christ. And that's the way that we are to be today. We are to walk in unity. Notice what it said in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 and reading through verse 6. Ephesians 4 beginning with verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Between verses 4 through 6 I counted. But how many times is the word one mentioned? One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God. Seven times the word one is used just in between those three verses. It's an important word, one, because God wants us to be one under Him. We are to act as one body in the one and only Holy Spirit. We are unified under one Lord. The recognition of one Lord. Of one shared faith. Of one baptism. That one baptism being for the remission of sins. That's the only baptism that we recognize today. We are to act under the authority of Almighty God. We have the example of the early church in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Having all things in common begins with serving only one God the way that He desires that we serve Him. You see, something that we've noticed over the last few weeks in our studies is that, that it's not about me. When it comes to worship, when it comes to anything regarding the church, it's not about me. It's not about how I feel. It's about how God feels. It's about what God wants. And that's what we should seek to do. And that's what we do within the churches of Christ. We seek to serve God the way that He wants us to. Not the way that, that we think that He should be served or worshipped the way that He wants us to. He's given us His Word. He's given us everything that we need to know. It's important that we follow very closely to the teachings that are given. Now comes the difficult part of the lesson. Where do we draw the lines of fellowship when it comes to those who teach differently than we do? Can, can we as Christians have fellowship with those that we disagree with when it comes to His Word? There is a way that we can disagree. There are certain details that not all of us are going to be in agreement on when it comes to Scripture. But I believe as long as we teach the same thing, as long as we teach the same message, that we can believe the same things. That, that we don't have to be divided in our teachings. I believe that we can be one. There are certain teachings in which we are divided on. The teachings of baptism is something that churches, uh, overall, denominations, Church of Christ, we disagree on what the Bible has to say. But let's look at what the Bible has to say. God's Word gives us a reason for baptism. Going back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, a verse that we've already looked at, Peter told the people on the day of Pentecost exactly why they needed to be baptized. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. That's the reason for baptism. And if we can agree on that, then 
That's what God wants. Many teach baptism because of remission of sins. I don't read that at all. But the reason, the purpose for obedience, repentance and baptism is to have our sins washed away. Every instance of conversion in the book of Acts is followed by immersion. That's something that we notice regularly as we read and as we study the Scriptures. Many will teach that that one can be saved without immersion, but, but we realize that it is a very important part of what the Bible teaches us to do to be saved. And we only read of baptism by immersion in Scripture. Most will allow sprinkling or pouring. Sprinkling and pouring are, are most often used for those that are too young to understand the need for baptism. There are different ages that we may come to a realization of what we need to do to be saved. I've shared this before. I was 14 when I realized what I needed to do to be saved. And I, I remember I remember a question being asked, what would happen to you if you were to die tonight? And I realized that the answer that I had was not the answer that I wanted. And so I remember talking to my dad about it. I remember him asking me the question, do you know why you need to be baptized? I told him this very thing, the remission of sins. That's the purpose. That's the reason. And for that reason, I was baptized. But I didn't come to that realization until I was 14. And we came up with a general consensus among ourselves in one of our Bible classes that most of us were about the age of 14 when we were, were baptized. We obeyed the gospel. And some may be younger and some may be older. It may be uh, those that, that are later in life before they realize what they need to do to be saved. But we need to realize the importance of baptism before we are baptized. We need to understand the reason for it. We don't do it just because. But we do it for the purpose of having our sins washed away. Sometimes our, our teachings on worship are, are not in accordance with God's authority. or not in agreement with one another. Many churches allow for the use of instrumental music in worship. And, and we don't have that here. That's something that's different. And it's not just because of preference. We believe the Bible teaches that... Authority, God's authority, His New Testament only permits the use of singing by voice and heart. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And we believe that we can do exactly what God wants just by following that simple command. Not adding to, not taking away, but following exactly what God has given us. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. We do so by studying. We, we understand God's Word. And once we do that, we share that with one another by our singing. Teaching and admonishing or encouraging one another 
by the use of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. With, uh, with what dwells within us, we, we express that outwardly, not only to those that we are in company with, but to God as well. We don't have choirs or praise teams or things of that nature because when we look at the Bible, we believe that it teaches that we are all to participate in the worship. And that is why we, we worship in the way that we do. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, there are those that believe differently than we do that, that the Lord's Supper should be taken every first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 tells us that that was the, the practice of the first century church. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, this is something that wasn't just a, a spontaneous thing. It wasn't something that happened only this once, but this was something that had already, had already been set aside on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. They did so because that was what they were doing every first day of the week. Christians of the first century came together each Lord's Day for the purpose of breaking bread. We find evidence of, of their coming together on the first day of the week in other places such as 1 Corinthians chapter 16 when it teaches us that, that they were to give a portion of their means on the first day of the week when they came together. That was something they were already doing. And as they observed the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, so do we. So do we. Now remember what we were taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. That there are to be no divisions among us. That we are to speak the same thing. That we are to be perfectly joined together. Can we have fellowship with those that teach differently than we do? Many uh, allow for similar practices as what we've already discussed, not just within churches that, that we would refer to as denominations, but even within the churches of Christ. If congregations do not practice or teach the truth in these matters, how can we be united with them in fellowship? It's a difficult thing. There are congregations who bind where Scripture is not bound, such as in cases like Bible classes, support of, the, of church-sponsored institutions, uh, many practice one cup in the Lord's Supper. A congregation that does not have Bible classes or does not support institutions and etc. will not be condemned for, for their choices. But the problem comes whenever they hold these standards to other congregations. When they bind where Scripture is not bound, that's something that we have to be careful of. We, we talk so much about loosing where the Scripture has not loosed, but we also cannot bind where the Scripture has not bound. And in these cases, they do not allow 
for others to fellowship with them. It's not how we feel about them, but it's about how they feel about us. And again, as we go back to that scripture, how can we fellowship together? How can we be united when we are divided on so many things according to the teachings of Scripture? It's something that cannot be done. It's something that we have to be very careful of. Not that we shouldn't love those who teach things other than what we do. And we do love them. And we do care for them. And we want them to to teach the truth. But when we are divided on what the truth is, we cannot be perfectly knit as God wants us to be. I know of many people that would disagree with things that that I might say and may disagree with me now. And as I I look at at churches that teach differently than what we do, are there good people? Absolutely. Are they doing good work in community and in missions? Sure that they are. Do they have good motives and intentions? Absolutely, I'm sure that they do. Does God love and care for those who, who teach differently? Yes, he does. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, what we often refer to as the golden text of the Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave His Son to die for all. Many will not accept it, but He did give His Son to die for all people. And as much good may be done if a congregation doesn't teach the truth, then the Lord's church cannot stand on their side. As we look at the theme for our lesson series this month, we have to make a decision. A difficult decision as it may be, but we have to decide which path to take. As we stand at the crossroads, which way are we going to go? Do we stand for the truth as God has presented it in His Word? Not just as a congregation, but as people, do we stand for the truth? I don't know where you stand today. I, I'm, I'm sure that, that maybe someone is here that, that is not a Christian. Maybe you've not obeyed the gospel. Maybe you have questions. And if you have questions, feel free to ask. Because we'd be glad to try to supply an answer. But if you've not obeyed the gospel, if you've not heard and believed God's Word, if you've not repented or confessed Christ as the Son of God, if you've not been baptized for the remission of sins, then we offer the opportunity. 
maybe it is that you're not a faithful child of God. Maybe you need to come back and, and repent of the error of your way. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for something that you've done, or maybe you need to ask for prayer. And if that's the case, then we offer the invitation for you. But the invitation is always open. I hope that you wouldn't feel that this is the only time that you have to respond. If there's any way that we can help you now, we'd be glad to have, have you come forward. But if you need to come forward later, then we'd be glad to talk to you. But we give you the opportunity. Come, let's together we stand. And have a